Verses 1 and 2 of Luke chapter 15 give us the context for the entire chapter. I've preached three messages so far out of Luke 15. But if we're not careful, we'll only focus on the red letters in this chapter. We'll just focus on Jesus' stories, his fictional stories, his parables. And we won't focus on the black letters, which tell us why he was telling the story in the first place. And if we don't mind the black letters and we don't pay attention to the black letters, we'll misunderstand the red letters. So look at the black letters. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Jesus was minding his own business when a group of publicans and sinners drew near to hear what he was saying. Publicans were dishonest tax collectors that the common person despised. Sinners were just that, bad people. They made a lifestyle of making bad choices. They're the kind of people that parents wouldn't let their kids around. Yet Jesus is sitting with these publicans and sinners at the same table, eating the same meal, welcoming them. And this infuriated this group of Pharisees and scribes. So much that they murmured under their breath because they had no idea how a man who claimed to be the Son of God could be sitting at the same table with such wretched sinners. So Jesus, hearing the language of their heart, they didn't have to talk out loud. He answered their frustrations. If I was Jesus, I would have just preached a barn burner of a sermon right there and told them how sinful they were. But he didn't. He told three stories. The story of a shepherd and the lost sheep. The story of a woman and a lost coin. The story of a father and a lost son. And all three of those stories share the same exact point. Lost people matter to God. Would you say that out loud with me? Ready? Go. Lost people matter to God. The Pharisees didn't understand that. They misunderstood the heart of Jesus. They misunderstood the heart of God for the lost. In fact, we could study the stories, and we already have preached three sermons. They all share the same outline. Point number one, something was lost. A sheep, a coin, and a son. Point number two, they were found. All three of them were found in the story. Point number three, everyone celebrated. Lost, found, celebration. Let me show you. Look at verse number 6. And when he, this is the shepherd, this is the first story, cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. There's the party the shepherd wanted to throw. The celebration. Look at verse 9. This is after the woman found the coin. And when she hath found it, she calleth their friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the, the, the peace which I had lost. Everyone rejoiced. How about when the lost son was found? Look at verse 24. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. When the shepherd found the sheep, everyone rejoiced. When the woman found the coin, everyone celebrated. When the son came home, well, not everyone celebrated. There's actually one more character in this story. And it's called the elder brother. Look at verse number 25. Now his elder son was in the field. He wasn't at the party. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said unto him, Thy brother is come, 
Thy father killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. Now watch this. And he was angry. I think sometimes we get so excited about how the story of the prodigal son ends. He came home, put a ring on his hand, a robe on his back, shoes on his feet, welcomed him back to the family by throwing a big party for him that we just rejoice in the grace of God and we forget that that's not really the ending of the story. We forget that Jesus still has a part of the story to tell and I would say it's actually the punchline to the entire thing. It's the one part of the story that we we always miss, it seems like, but we shouldn't miss because he has one more character to talk about and it's the elder brother. And what he does is he shows us the character of the elder brother so as to reveal to these Pharisees in verses 1 and 2 what their character was. He shows us the heart of the elder brother for the lost so that these Pharisees who were complaining about Jesus sitting with sinners so that they could understand their own heart problem. In other words, Jesus uses verse 24 through 32 to say this. Hey, Pharisees, you're the elder brother. This is you. When everyone else is celebrating, you're criticizing. When everybody else is partying, you're pouting. When everybody else is merry that the lost son has come home, you're mad about it. You are the elder brother. You don't care for the lost like God cares for the lost. You see, when I first started studying Luke chapter 15, and even when I preached the first three stories, I thought that this was a text primarily of grace. Something lost is found, and everybody celebrates because of the good grace of God, and that's certainly an element in it. But this really isn't a parable of grace now that I've studied the very last part. This is a parable of judgment. It's judgment upon the verses in verses 1 and 2, upon the people in the black letters. It's judgment upon the Pharisees, the religious elite that didn't care about the lost like God cared about the lost. But hear me this morning. This story isn't just so we could read about the Pharisees' problem over 2,000 years ago. The story is preserved in the canon of Scripture so that we in 2019 can honestly identify whether or not we have some inner Pharisee in us. In other words, the question of the text is this. Are you the elder brother? Oh, we know the Pharisees were. I'm asking you. What I've asked myself in my private study. Am I the elder brother? I'm asking you, are you the Pharisee? Do you care about the lost or you just care about yourself? You go after the lost like the shepherd went after the sheep or do you stay in just your little, your little circle? You sweep through the house for the lost and put hard work into pursuing the lost or are you comfortable with just nine pieces of corn? I'm asking you, because this, this is why Luke 15 is preserved in Scripture. It's so that the church could identify, do we have any Pharisees among us? Are you the elder brother? Here's what the passage teaches us. While there was a prodigal son in the far country, there was a Pharisee back home in the father's house. Listen, that same possibility is a reality in this house today. Oh, we know there are prodigals out from among us. I I, I mean, they've been among us before, and now they're out. 
They're living recklessly. You have family members, you have co-workers. We know church members who were once living for Christ, singing worship to Christ, praying prayers to Christ, giving offerings to the Lord, but now they're nowhere to be found. They're in the pig pen, living a reckless life. And we ought to go after them, church. We ought to have a field of grace right here for them. But what does it do? What good does it do to go out and find them only to bring them back into a house full of Pharisees? What good does it do to go get the lost sheep only to bring them back to a, a house or a church full of elder brothers? So I'll ask you again, are you the elder brother? To help you answer that question, I've identified three aspects of his character. It's recorded in the text. Number one, the elder brother was in the father's house, but lost. How do you know that? Well, think about it. As the elder brother returned from working in the field, he could hear something in the distance like that of music. As he got closer, he could see almost like professional dancing. There was, this was no impromptu get-together. This was not spontaneous. This was a lavish planned banquet, and so he asked the servant, what's the occasion for this? I wasn't told anything. The servant told him, your younger brother came home. You didn't hear? He's home safe and sound. Your father killed that fattened calf, and we're having a party for him. And if the elder brother had the right heart, he would have said this, why didn't somebody call me? I didn't get a Facebook invitation. Could at least got a text. Nobody let me know, but he didn't say that. He got angry. He didn't get angry at the prodigal son, though. He wasn't angry because his younger brother came home. He was angry that the father restored his younger brother. Even worse than that, he, he was angry that his father was throwing a party for his rebellious younger brother. The part of verse 28 I didn't, I didn't put on the screen and I didn't read was how the father responded to his anger. Look at it. And he was angry, would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. Now this is, this is it, you can't miss this. The father could have said, so what, leave him out in the field. He, he's stubborn, he's prideful, he's arrogant, he's not compassionate, leave him out in the field. He didn't do that. He could have said, you tell him to get in here right now. He will party with us. He didn't do that either because you can't make somebody party. can't make somebody happy I've tried it says he came out and entreated him this is the same posture the shepherd went out with the same attitude the woman swept the house with this father's initiative to seek out the elder brother is the parallel that links the third story with the first two stories question did the father go after the prodigal son no in the first parable, the shepherd went after the sheep. Second parable, the woman swept the house and went after the coin. But in the third parable, he didn't go after the prodigal son. Who did he go after? The elder brother. He didn't wait for the elder brother to come to himself. Like the seeking shepherd and the searching woman. He went after the elder brother, which begs the question, which son was really the lost son in this parable? If the shepherd searched out the lost sheep, the woman searched out the lost coin. And the father chose to search out not the prodigal, not the wayward, the elder son. Which one was really the lost one? I submit to you that the elder brother was as lost as the prodigal son. Oh, no, no, he wasn't out lost in the far country. He was lost right smack dab in the middle of the father's house. He didn't go off and do all the public sins that, that his younger brother did. 
But he had a lot of sin undealt with right there. And let me tell you, church, the fact that you've never traveled to the far country doesn't mean that the things are right between you and the Father. You can be as lost in the Father's house going through the motions this morning as you are living recklessly in the far country. You can be in the Father's house but still separated from the Father. Let me get more specific. You can be moral but lost. Moral. You, you can be upright. You can be a good citizen. You can dress nice. You can be benevolent. You can be servant-minded. All of those things that make you feel like you're living up to God's standard for your life. But lost, that's why Paul said, for by grace are ye saved through faith, not morality, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can be moral, but be lost. Did you know that, 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 that it's not just morality? You can also be, be religious, but lost. That's why Jesus looked in the Sermon on the Mount of the disciples and said, many, not, not a few, not some, Many will say to me in that day, the judgment day of Christ, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and thy name have cast out devils, and then I have done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Where? Lake of fire. Ye that work iniquity. Now look at their spiritual credentials. Prophesying in the name of God. Accurately foretelling the future on the behalf of the Lord. Casting out devils out of people. If their credentials can't get them into heaven... I'm in sad shape. I just lead a few songs and preach a sermon on Sunday. But that's exactly the point. Jesus uses the most dramatic spiritual credentials possible to bring us to the reality that no matter how much religion that you pursue and how many good things you do, it will not make you right with the Father. It gets even more specific. You can be involved but lost. Ask Judas, one of God's original 12 Disciples, Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Judas walked with God, he talked with God, he prayed with God, he baptized, he saw people get baptized, he cast devils out of people, he did the work of God. He would have been here on Sunday morning, he would have been here on Sunday night, he would have been here on Wednesday night, he would have been knocking doors and, and, and handing out outreach cards on Saturday, he'd be bringing friends with him on friend day, but he was lost. By all accounts in Scripture, he's in hell today. That, that goes to prove that you could sing in the choir, you could preach a sermon, you could play an instrument, you could teach a kid's lesson. You could come to this church every Sunday and give him the offering plate and still be lost. Why, Brother Tyler? Because it's not about religion, it's about a relationship. It's not about what you can do for God, it's about what God has already done for you. Some of you need to learn. You can never make yourself right with the Father. Ever. I don't care how good you are, it's not going to happen. I plead with you today on the authority of Scripture. Place your faith in the finished work of Christ and Christ alone. Who said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes from the Father but by me. Are you the elder brother? That is, are you in the Father's house but lost? Here's the second characteristic of the elder brother. The elder brother was in the father's house but self-righteous. Look at verse 29 and 30. And he answered, he said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, 
Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid. That's a goat. That's a fatted calf. That I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. Now there are three words that really reveal his self-righteousness. In verse 29, it's these words, I. You see how often it recurs? Me. My, he was consumed with himself. And I'm not saying that the elder brother got caught up with prostitutes in the far country like the prodigal son did. But I will say this, he had an illicit affair with himself. And in this sense, the elder brother was really the little brother. Because the smallest person in all the world is the person who's wrapped up in himself. And so I wonder if there are any self-righteous elder brothers in our midst today. It's not likely anyone would raise their hand and volunteer that information. Oh, not because you'd be embarrassed to do so, because Pharisees don't know they're Pharisees. Elder brothers don't know they're elder brothers. And self-righteous people can't see that they're self-righteous. Thankfully, the mirror of God's word helps us with that because we see the conversation the father had with his elder brother and we're able to identify some aspects of self-righteousness. So as to be a mirror and show us, do we have any of that in us? We need the word of God to help us see who we really are. And so with humility, let's look into the mirror and see, am I the elder brother? I'll put it like this. You know your self-righteous win. Three ways. You are blinded to your own sin. Look at verse 29. And he answering said to his father, lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. How arrogant. The elder son just claimed that he never disobeyed the father's command. Now let's agree together that he didn't exactly do what the prodigal son did. But that doesn't mean he never did wrong. Yet that's what he claimed. So let's dig a little deeper because there's a, there's a bigger problem than just being blind to his own sin. How could somebody be so so blinded to their own sin that they actually tell their parents, I've never done anything wrong. Well, the only explanation I can think of is he was so focused on his brother's sin that he couldn't see his own. That's why in verse 30 he was quick to point out that the sin of his younger brother was taking all that inheritance money and he said he spent it on prostitutes, on harlots. Question, how did he know that? There wasn't Facebook back then. No Instagram pics. You know how, two, two reasons. Negative words spread really fast. And number two, Pharisees know about people's sin before anybody else. Because they're looking for it. They're asking about it. They're waiting for it. Jesus talks about that kind of attitude. Where he says, and why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? But considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite. First cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Jesus is not saying you should never confront people's sin. He's not saying you should never talk about other people's sin. He's not saying you should never keep people accountable for their sin. He's just saying this. See yours first. Because your brother has this little tiny speck that you're focused on, and you have this two-by-four sticking out of your eye. And not only is it oxymoronic, you look like a moron. No, Pharisees do look like morons. 
I, I mean, if you're, if you're on the side and, and you're, you're looking at a Pharisee, you're just shaking your head, right? Saying, are you serious? If I was the servant listening to this conversation and I heard that Pharisee elder brother say, I've never sinned, I would have to like, keep back the laughing. That's so absurd, but that's a sign of self-righteousness. Here's another one. You know you're self-righteous when you serve God for a reward, not out of relationship. Look at verse 29. And yet thou never gavest, the end of, the, end of verse 29, yet thou never gavest me a kid. It's not a human being, that's a goat, fatted calf, that I might make, 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 make merry with my friend. He was upset because he didn't get what he thought he deserved for all his years of service to his father. Now, I want to say this. It's not wrong. It's human nature. It's not wrong to want to be appreciated, to want to be thanked, recognized for hard work, whether that's at home or at work or in the community or right here at church. That's, that's not wrong at all. So where did he go wrong? Well, where he started to compare what he received as compared to what his brother received. He took another step further, and he even resented, in verse uh, number 30, he resented the fact that his brother got a fatty calf, and he didn't. So it starts with comparison, and then it goes to resenting. You know that, you, that your service to the Lord is more about a reward and not a relationship. When you start comparing what you've received, whether that's thanks, a thank you card, or, or compensation, or a handshake, or a pat on the back, or a shout out on Facebook, no matter what it is, when you start comparing what you got or didn't get to what your brother or sister in Christ got, and when you even start resenting that person in, ne next to you or, or across the auditorium, because you'd never sit by him, but when you, when you start resenting the blessings that God puts in their life because they're not worthy of those, when something good happens in their life, when someone gives them a compliment, when they get the promotion, and you start resenting somebody else's blessings, that's when you know that it's been revealed to you that you are a Pharisee in motive. It's not about a relationship with the Father. And I want to speak to this for a moment. Because the Father actually answers the Son's frustrations here. And we can learn something from it. Put up that verse. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me. And all that I have is thine. He affirmed his Son by saying, You have my presence. And you have my property. You have my presence. Son, thou art ever with me. More than parting with his friends, he had the presence of his father. The prodigal son, listen, the prodigal son may have received a blessing when he came home from the far country, but the elder brother received a greater blessing because he never left for the far country in the first place. The father affirmed his property. All that I have is thine. In other words, your son coming home and us throwing a party, it doesn't, it doesn't mean squat in relation to what I've already given you. You're not losing anything because of what I'm giving your younger brother. What's the point, Brother Tyler? Here's the point. Don't get so self-righteous and bent out of shape when somebody is blessed that you feel is undeserving of the blessing that you miss the fact that God is still blessing you. Just because God is blessing somebody else, even somebody in this very room that you don't feel is worthy, doesn't mean that he has forgotten about you. I'm talking about even if somebody across the auditorium is more blessed and thanked and appreciated and recognized and used more than you are, that doesn't negate the fact that you still have one thing, that's the presence of your heavenly Father who promised to never leave you nor forsake you. And if there's but one blessing that I could ask upon salvation, it would be that God is with me. 
And if he never blesses you with another earthly blessing, the fact that he blesses you with a relationship, the fact that he blesses you with the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life should be enough. That's why you serve the Father. Because he changed your life. Because he offers you his presence. One more. You know yourself righteous when you become cold-hearted toward the failures of others. Catch this. He says, Dad, as soon as this, thy son was come. Did you catch that? As soon as this, thy son was come. He was so cold-hearted toward his brother's failure and lack of morality that he disowned him. He had no compassion. He said, hey, look at what your kid has done. Look at what your son has done. You know the Apostle Paul warns the church of having this type of self-righteous attitude? In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, all our Christian school students have memorized this passage of Scripture this last week. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Did you see what he said? Ye which are what? Spiritual. Spiritual people, not self-righteous people. Spiritual people, you know how they handle the, the failures of their brothers or sisters in Christ? Spiritual people handle this way, restoration. Self-righteous people handle it this way, amputation. We're cutting you off. You don't live up to our standard. You've already done, used up all the grace we got to give. I'm so thankful God didn't treat me like that. I'd have been cut off a long time ago. You know what that word restore means? It's the same word that they would use in the Greek for when they described how a fisherman would restore or mend his broken net. Watch this. Why would a fisherman mend his broken net? Ah, uh, this is deep. He planned to use it again. Did you get it? That didn't sell over your head, did it? He mends his broken net. He doesn't go buy a new one. He doesn't just amputate it from his career. He says, I'm going to mend this sucker because I plan to use it again. And God says, you mend the lives of those broken brothers and sisters around you. And, and the purpose is simple. I plan to use them again. I know you don't want them to be used again. I get that. I get that. Hypocrites don't have any grace. Elder brothers don't have any grace. They don't want, they don't want people up here, broken people singing solos. They don't want broken people singing in a choir. They don't want broken people teaching a Sunday school lesson. They don't want broken people taking the offering. They don't want broken people appreciated in our community. They don't want broken people uh, praised on Facebook. Oh, it just gets at them because they know that broken person. They know how broken they are. Oh, they know that net. They know how wicked that net is. And God says, would you just slow down a second to show some compassion? And he says, be gentle when you do it. Consider thyself. Understand that at any moment you could be the prodigal. Understand at any moment you could be rolling around with the pigs. Understand at any moment you could be living recklessly. Oh, no, that's not me. If you just said that in your head, you are the, you are the prime candidate for being the next prodigal. Take heed lest ye fall. Are you the elder brother? In the father's house but lost? In the Father's house, but self-righteous? Let me give you one more, and I think it, this gets the closest to what Jesus had in mind. 
The elder brother was in the father's house, but misunderstood the father's heart. Look at how he closes the parable. It was meet, means it was necessary, that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Now look up here. Here's what the father does. After he hears the frustrations, reaffirms his love for even the pharisaical older brother. He said, I just want you to know why. I want you to get my heart. I didn't do it to, to make you mad. I didn't do it to rub it in. I did it because I felt like I had to. I love him so much. I was so worried about him. I prayed so long for him to come home. I thought I'd never see him again. That when I saw him coming down that dusty road, I had to give him a kiss. I had to fall on his neck. I had to give him a ring. I had to give him a robe. I had to give him shoes. I had to welcome him back in the family. I had to throw a celebration. I had to, son. Why? That's my heart. My heart made me. Because I care about lost things. And then he closes the story. Screen fades to black. Credits begin. Not even a to be continued. It's a cliffhanger because if you're like me, I'm asking this question. Well, did the elder brother go to the party? Come on, tell me. Did, tell me. Did he give in? Did he humble himself? We'll never know. You know why? Because that's not the point. Be because God wasn't preaching to the elder brother. The parables weren't about the elder brother. The parables were about the religious elite in verses 1 and 2. He left it unfinished. So as to stick a little dagger in the heart of those Pharisees and ask them, is that you? He left a cliffhanger so, so, so that I could stand up in front of Fellowship Baptist Church and say, is that you? So that we could all center ourselves around this parable. And not ask ourselves before the shepherd. Not ask ourselves before the woman searching for the coin. Not ask ourselves before the praying father. But to ask ourselves, are we the Pharisee? See, the Pharisees were convinced. Absolutely convinced. That the Son of Man came to condemn the lost, judge the lost, and to rule this world with an iron fist. Especially towards those that didn't keep the law like they did. And so Jesus couldn't take it. He sets them straight. And he says, no. I didn't come and seek and save that which is religious. I came to seek and save that which is lost. I didn't come to spend the majority of my time with people that have it all together. I came to spend the majority of my time with people that are falling apart. I didn't come to spend the majority of my time on this earth for 33 and a half years to be among people who are clean who are whole. I came to be around people that are broken and dirty. And they grossly misunderstood the Father's heart. You do understand these are the Pharisees that memorized the entire Torah. They wore scripture verses on their forehead. If they were in Fellowship Baptist Church today, they would have a suit on. 
was wearing their Sunday best. Pharisees blend in until sinners come around. And when sinners get in their space, when sinners make them feel uncomfortable, then their nose goes in the air pretty quick. So let me ask you, if God is so about the lost, what are you about? Do you really understand the heart of God? Oh yeah, Brother Tyler, for God so loved the world that he sends his only begotten Son, whosoever believeth him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I'm all about lost people getting saved. I am all about lost people getting saved. The more the merrier. All right. Prove it. If you're really all about the lost getting saved, you really understand God's heart for the lost, you know how it'll show up? Not by your words. You'll get involved in the work of the church. And we've got to put our money where our mouth is. It means that we'll give up some personal time to get involved in a ministry. We'll attend an outreach event. We'll help in the nursery or anything else. Because, because the, reaching the lost, it matters to you. You can say lost people matter to you all day long, but if you hang around on the fringe, occasionally attending, cherry-picking what you want to get involved in and what you don't want to get involved in, spectating but not really participating, it's just word service. There's no life service. You don't reach the lost because you're a casual attender of God's New Testament church. You reach the lost because you're an active member. It got quiet in here all of a sudden. You know why? Because I'm asking you to prove it. I could have left the message with just have a heart for the lost. And in your mind, in your mind, you would have walked out saying, that's me, I have a heart for the lost. But you're not involved. Your time and your space and your calendar means more than God's work through God's church. It's like someone saying, I'm serious about losing weight, never going to the gym. Come on, we, we got to be real. This isn't a parable of grace. This is a parable of judgment. Judgment upon those that say that the lost matter to them, but it, life doesn't back it up. We just baptized some people last week, and they weren't in their 20s. We baptized some little kids, and we baptized some grown adults. When I say grown, like not just that they're grown up tall, but that they're old. Andy and Cindy Stewart aren't spring chickens anymore. Oh, they're good people, though. They met with Mike in first steps. Found out they need to get baptized to become members of Fellowship Baptist Church. Took them a while to make that decision, but they finally made that decision. You know why? Because they understood that Christ died for the church. They're not just going to come in and out, and in and out, and in and out, and in and out. If I, need, I need to be a member to be involved. I need to be involved to reach the lost. I need to be baptized to be a member. So I'm going to do what i got to do. I'm not casting judgment on anybody. I'm simply saying this. We can't claim that we have a heart for a loss, and we're not Pharisees if all we do is come in and go out, come in and go out, come in and go out. And I didn't ask what you did for your, for your civic organization. I didn't ask what you do for your nonprofit group. All of that is incredibly important, but Christ didn't die for that. Somebody help me, please. 
Christ died for the church. And all of your talents, no, 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 our talents, I say this, our talents should be prioritized through the church. Our time should be prioritized through the church. Our money should be prioritized through the church. Oh, I'm involved in a nonprofit. I'm involved in two different ones. I love our community. I want to reach our community. I believe you all should be involved in those kind of things and give your heart and your time and your talents and your treasure to those kind of things, but you shouldn't bypass the church to do it. Are you hearing me? I need to get this across. I got to park here for a second because we should literally be to the place. If this, if this church has no Pharisees, no elder brothers, we should literally be to the place where we've got to tell people, you're going to have to be put on a waiting list. We have nowhere to serve right now. There should not be 25 maps left over. Now, I know I'm getting real, but Jesus got real too. And I, I want you to be able to identify, am I the elder brother? Elder brothers don't see that they're elder brothers. And so I'm asking you to be honest with yourself. Based on your talents, based on your time, based on your money based on where you give all of those things and how you spend all of those things, could it be said of you that you're the shepherd and you're the searching woman and you're the patient father or are you the elder, the elder brother? Because the proof is in the pudding. Pharisees were good at talking a good game, weren't they? They looked good, talked good, knew all the right answers, but their life didn't back it up. Church, church, I am praying that this message purges Fellowship Baptist Church of the elder brother syndrome. And when we go out next week to invite people to Friend Day, and we bring in all the prodigals, and we find all the lost coins, and we go hunt down all the lost sheep we can get, and we bring them into this place, and we'll have 60 or 70 extra chairs set up in this place, and the choir will probably stay up because there's not room to sit down here, and we'll sing our best, and we'll pray our best, and we'll preach our best. If we go out and do that, it just is counterproductive to bring them into a place full of elder brothers, people that are going through the motions, but don't care enough to get all into God's church. Don't make the hard choice of commitment. That's what I'm calling you to. I love you. I love you. I love this church. I love this community. That's why I want to be able to bring them into a place full of shepherds, searching women, patient fathers, people like Jesus, whose arms are open wide saying, come to my field of grace. I was once where you are, and in one stupid choice, I could be back where you are. So come be a part of the fellowship family. And all God's people said, stand to your feet, every head bowed and every eye closed.